Hey guys, you're listening to episode 17 of the Finish Line Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. Today we are joined by Steve Scalisi, who will share about his journey as a financial advisor and pastor living with a financial finish line. Welcome to the show. My name is Cody Hobelman, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Keelan. On today's episode, we get to hear all about how Steve and his wife, April, decided to set a financial finish line over 15 years ago and some of what he's learned in the process. Steve has not only built a successful practice as a financial advisor, but also serves as the pastor of Family Church Jupiter in Jupiter, Florida. We're so excited for you to hear his story. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you about our finish line sprints. If you've been getting a lot out of this podcast and you're looking for a way to take it to the next level, then you should consider starting or joining a sprint. A sprint is a guided program for small groups meant to lead you through the overarching biblical themes related to wealth and money while allowing you to explore the restored freedom and purpose that comes with choosing a financial finish line. The sprint guide is completely free and available on our website at finishlinepledge.com sprint. Sprints are also completely self-led, so you don't need a trained leader or someone who's been through the program before. All you need are a couple friends to get started. So check it out and get a group together today. With that, let's get started. Well, hey, Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking some time to chat with us. Yeah, my pleasure. It's uh, an honor to be on your podcast. So I thought it would make sense for you to just tell a little bit more about your story and, and how you got to where you are today. And I know you have a couple different hats that you wear throughout the day. So do you mind just sharing a little bit about your background? Oh, no, I'd be honored to. I got, got saved when I was 16 and then, you know, have, have lived a perfect life since then. Uh, I know, just kidding, of course, but met my wife at, at Palm Beach Atlantic University. So we got married right out of college, 1995. And we've been married just about 26 years. And so uh, we have three daughters, 21, 18, and 16. The 21-year-old gets married shortly. And uh, so we'll have two left in the house. And that's been, that's been a great ride. Uh, our daughters have been uh, truly a blessing from the Lord. The Bible describes them that way. And, you know, with obviously some hiccups here and there. And, you know, look, I've blown it as a dad at times. And, you know, my kids have made some silly decisions, but lots of grace involved. And, uh, but, but today I can look back and say, man, I, I mean, I love these kids. I love, I love my future son-in-law. He's a great kid so far. You know, I think we're one for one in the selection of husbands. So, so pretty happy about that. And then, uh, I'm a financial planner. I've been doing that now for about 23 years. I studied finance when I was at Palm Beach Atlantic. I worked for a small investment firm while I was in high school and through college always kind of thought I was going to be copy room to boardroom kind of story. I, I started out as the file boy. I made copies. I made files. That's what I did. You know, a typical grunt job at, you know, as a senior in high school, loved it though, loved finance, loved all that. So I've been in finance for as a career now, since I graduated college, about 26 years and as a financial advisor for 23. And then about eight years ago, eight and a half years ago, felt called to go to seminary. So I went to Moody Bible and got a seminary degree there, a master of biblical studies, 
and around the same time felt called to help plan a church. I'm part of a church network down here called Family Church, and uh, we're, we're trying to plan 100 neighborhood churches throughout South Florida, which is where I grew up as well. So I have a, I have a heart for the people of South Florida, and, and I love it down here. So I've lived here my whole life. I'm one of the few. Most people who live here are not from here, so we have a lot of transient people. And so I've enjoyed doing that. Started a campus about five and a half years ago. So I, I'm a bivocational pastor. And that's a fancy way of saying like Paul was a tent maker. I'm a tent maker, right? So I pastor a church and then have my my other job. And people always ask me, how long are you going to do that? Until God tells me not to, whether he tells me to go full time as a pastor, to maybe give the church off to someone or to uh, maybe do something completely different. I used to fight all this stuff, but now I just... I just decided whatever I feel like the Lord is calling me to do, I'm just going to try to say yes to as many things as possible. So on the podcast here at the Finish Line Pledge, we're constantly talking about the idea of a financial finish line or an answer to the question, how much is enough? How much do I need? And uh, we talk about the idea that all the money that passes through our hands belongs to God ultimately and always has and always will. And, and we're responsible for managing that and doing that to the best of our abilities and how to manage that on his behalf. I think you have a very unique perspective on that because uh, you've actually had a finish line for a long time, certainly longer than both of us. And I'd love to hear part of your story at of how you came to that decision originally and how God led you into that and a little bit of what that process has been like along the way. Oh, sure. So I got saved at 16. My wife, I like to joke, got saved in the womb. She's been a Christian as long as she can remember. Just a great, great woman. And so we got married. We were 21 years old, right out of college. And as a married couple, we began tithing. I had started tithing I got saved at 16, started tithing at 18. Someone I heard a teaching on it, seemed to make sense. And so I just thought that was a way to honor the Lord. And so so did my wife. And so we just, we got married and we tithed. And so we were doing that for some time. And I mentioned I got, I started financial planning about three years after our marriage. And anybody who's ever started anything, whether it was a practice or a business, you know, this first few years can be lean, very lean. And so they were pretty lean for us, but she was still working. And so we, we got by, it was fine. But after about two years, you know, the business, you, you know, I always like to say, at least in financial planning, and probably the same for if you started an accounting firm or a law firm, the first couple of years are tough. And you kind of know in those first couple of years, if you're going to make it. So we barely made it, but we made it. And then, you know, we started getting some momentum and we started making a little bit more money. So it would have been about 17, 18 years ago. So we would have been married at that time, about eight years. And things were starting to take off for that. And, and she, we had children at that point and we had two at that time. And I, I just, I read a book by Randy Alcorn called money possessions and eternity. It's a very long book. I used to do a radio show called God's money. I felt like I was getting a little stale. So I wanted some fodder. I wanted some ideas. And so, Oh, why not read a 500 plus page book on finances and God? I thought that would be pretty good. And it was very helpful. Probably gave me a year's worth of content, just made me think about some things a little differently. And, but one of the things I got out of that was we, we really should be more generous than we were being. We were faithful tithers. I've heard a term called tickled tithers. We were tickled about it. Like, Hey, we're tithers. Look at us. We're good Christians. Checked it off our good Christian box. And I just kind of sensed we were supposed to give more. So I brought it up to my wife and she immediately said, yeah, she's always been just very attuned to this stuff. 
And she said, well, how much should we give? And I said, I don't know. And I didn't want to influence her and I didn't want her to influence me. So we prayed about it for about a week. And we literally, we wrote it down on separate pieces of paper, like we were negotiating a car deal or something. And we both wrote down 15%. And I said, okay, well, I I guess that's what the Holy Spirit's telling us to do. Let's give 15%. And so we did that for a year. And of course, as the Lord would have it, please know that I'm not a prosperity theologian. I'm, I'm not into the prosperity gospel. But the Lord did provide far more than that extra 5% we gave. And so we looked at it and said, well, we should probably give more. And so we did the same thing. We prayed separately. We wrote down on our papers and we gave. We decided to give 20%. We thought that's what the Lord was leading us to do. And so I, I always joke, I don't know, because we're both pretty linear thinkers. So maybe we just were like 10, 15, 20. If we kept doing it, it would have been eventually just get to 95%. You know, I don't know. So we did that. Well, then... I was at, a, I'll never forget, I was, at a, I was at a financial conference in the panhandle of Florida, and I was reading this book by Randy Alcorn, another book by Alcorn. So Alcorn's had this major impact on me. And, and at the time, too, I had been studying, uh, I was in Luke chapter 12 about bigger barns, and I was studying about you know, building bigger barns. And I'm sitting there going, man, am I just trying to build bigger barns? I mean, what am I doing here? And I was reading Alcorn's book, The Treasure Principle. And in the book, he has the six keys of the treasure principle. And one of the things I did, too, is I went and read Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, which is what he bases the book on. He basically says he has six keys, but the two keys that really struck a chord with me, that really knocked me down in a good way, was God prospers me not to increase my standard of living, but rather my standard of giving. And the other was the only antidote to materialism is generosity. Now, the other keys are great and wonderful. We don't have time to go into all those, but those were the two that really struck a chord with me. Plus, on top of reading, I was reading about bigger barns, and then I was reading about not storing up for myself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but rather storing up for myself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And then, of course, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And those, all those combination of things, just I think... The path he had already had us on. In hindsight, I started thinking about conversations I had with people that influenced me and just listening to other people who were being generous. And they weren't being braggy about it at all. They were just, I was asking them and they were telling me stuff. I saw it in the lives of my clients. I saw stingy clients and I saw generous clients. And man, the the generous ones were just always in such good spirits, you know, just, and and there had to be something to that. I didn't want to do it just to be in good mood. I think I was already in a good mood. But I just, I just saw they just seemed to have a, a, a closer relationship with the Lord, and I just wanted that. And so went back home, and I sensed that I was supposed to share with my wife that we're supposed to cap our lifestyle, like just pick an amount less than what we're living on now, figure out what we could live on, and just live on that and give the rest away. And I was a little nervous, even though my wife has been super good with all this stuff at this point, but I'm like, man going to tell her we're going to cap our lifestyle. So we were on I-95, I remember, because I figured she wouldn't punch me on I-95 while I was driving. And I said, hey, I, I think the Lord's telling us we should cap our lifestyle. And I remember using that phrase and not really knowing what it meant, but I just, I used it. And, and she said, what do you think? Like, how do we do that? And I said, I don't know. I've never heard anybody do it, but I'm sure somebody's done it and we could probably figure it out. But I said, I think it starts with tightening up our budget and just, because we lived on a budget, but you know, we get a little loose with it. Andy Stanley always says, that if you have extra of anything, you waste it, whether it's time, money, whatever. 
so we were get, we were getting a little frivolous with it. I mean, we were we weren't as strict as we were, especially when we first got married. You know, every penny we knew where every penny went. And she said, I think that's a great idea. And so that's what we did. And so we just went back and really narrowed down our budget. And we just said, we're going to cap. This is what we're going to live on. And at this point now we have the three kids and we're pretty certain we're done, but we might have more kids, but we're like, Hey, I guess we can always adjust it. And so they were saying, this is what we're going to live on. And then, you know, we'll save a certain amount and then we'll, um, and then we'll give the rest away. And then we just started doing that. And that was 15 years ago. And we still do it today. And it looks a little different, but we still do it today. That's so cool to hear the process that you went through. And Keon and I have each shared a little bit of our own processes. And I think there's some commonalities that you're influenced by things that you read, including scripture, of course. And it requires some discussion and careful thought. But we all kind of came to the same conclusion here. Something that stuck out to me right after we met, we met at the Kingdom Advisors Conference here in 2021. And I was attending and you were one of the speakers. And you were with Greg Balmer talking about financial finish lines. And I thought, how cool is this? There's other people doing this. There's other people interested enough to be talking about this. And I have to know more. So I I reached out and we talked right after the conference. And I believe you told me that 500 people signed up for that session. Yes. And that stuck with me because I think a lot of the people who were attending the conference were also financial planners, financial advisors, they're in this industry. And that's something that you and I share. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you have an opportunity as a financial planner and as a pastor to talk about wealth from your unique perspective and how you're able to integrate your faith into your professional life. Sure. So we're financial planners. At the end of the day, there is a sales element to what we do, right? We could be the smartest financial advisors. We can have the greatest financial planning softwares. and We could have the best understanding of how to put somebody in the best plan possible in the world. But if nobody ever comes with us, we don't last in this business very long. What makes us good salespeople is that we believe in what we're doing. And what I found is because my wife and I are living this out, it's really not hard for me to talk about. I'm not talking about it in terms of, hey, you know, it'd be neat if you tried this. You can say it in a way with confidence. But even with that, so what's interesting is I don't really get into a lot of detail with my clients unless they really ask about how I do this. Because there's this whole thing. We, we One of the things we talked about in our first conversation was there's this whole like thing you have to be careful of is on the one hand, you know, it's right there in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and Matthew 6. On the one hand, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, but then let your light shine before all men so they see your good works. But also it's to honor the Father, right? It's, it's not to honor us, it's to honor the Father. So I'm always trying to find that delicate balance between like letting people know, hey, this is exactly what I do. So what I do is I talk to them and I'll say, I talk very generically with my clients about, hey, my wife and I did make a decision on capping our lifestyle. I don't necessarily get into specific dollars with them, but I do say, Hey, you know, that's something, it depends on the client, you know, Hey, you, that's something you may want to consider. You've been sh- telling me about a, a tendency, a, an inclination that you have to want to be more generous. Well, here's a way you could consider being more generous, but I think because we do it, I think I have more credibility because it is something that we're living out. And so because I believe in it, it's easier to talk about. The truth is, in my practice, most of the people have 
decent amount of wealth. So it's a different conversation than you have with somebody who doesn't have a lot of wealth, right? Oh, cap your lifestyle. What are you talking about, dude? I'm, I'm trying to like make a living here. I'm just trying to get by. And so in your church, you have all, you have all different income levels, asset levels, net worth levels. You have people in public assistance all the way to people who have been independently wealthy for the last 30 years, you know? And so, but you still have this desire to share the importance and the significance of being generous back to the Lord relative to what you have. And I did, little did I know as well that when the Lord started prepping us for this and where we got serious about it, you know, 16, 17 years ago, is that this would also make the decision to go into seminary and to potentially take a big pay cut. That wasn't even part of the discussion. Like, okay, if he cuts our salary, fine. We know how to live on less. It's fine. Now, the irony is I'm bivocational, so I haven't had to really take that pay cut. And my practice is still doing very well. I mean, I I was prepared to take a pay cut. And I kind of joke, but I'm like, well, Lord, that's going to come out of your portion because we live on this much. And hey, whatever you want to give us, that's going back to you anyway. And then but, but it hasn't really, it hasn't cut back at all. As a matter of fact, it, 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 he's continued to bless that side of it too. And again, I'm not a, <laughs> I, I don't know why I always feel the need to say this. I'm not a prosperity gospel teacher. Okay. I am a, I'm a stewardship gospel teacher, but he's continued to bless. And we just, we just laugh and we just say, all right, Lord, where do you want us to give this now? Yeah. You joke about the prosperity gospel idea, but I mean, I think there is a lot to what you're saying that, you know, we are blessed so much by what God is able to do through us when we start to loosen our grip from what we have and start to open ourselves to what he might be prompting us to do with it, that he blesses us to a deeper relationship with him and being used more by him, often by providing us with more to give. And so, you know, I agree completely, exactly like you say, you know, I don't believe that God blesses us for ourselves and that as we give, then God wants us to be blessed with more for our own sake. But it is funny how many people I've heard express the same kind of sentiment that when we start to seek opportunities to be generous, that God provides many, many opportunities to do that. And so it's just, you know, another part of God's grace and and how he works. I'm curious, as you were just kind of sharing the different groups of people that you interact with, you have a, a very interesting life. So let's say somebody in your financial advising practice is interested in kind of figuring out a way to cap their lifestyle. You know, we talk through our sprint program of kind of a system for how somebody might go about how to do that. If somebody was looking to guidance for you for how they would actually choose a cap and and, choose a finish line, what would you recommend they do or where would they start? Yeah. So I think the budget is so basic, right? But it is it is the foundation of everything you do financially is you have to know how much is coming in and how much you need to, to go out to, to support basic living. And then, you know, you have to determine how many kids you have. You know, one of the things we had to make a decision on is what we wanted to do for education. It gets it's education can be very expensive. It can be free. There are opportunities, you know, options there. So so we kind of walk through that with people. We'd love there to be a Bible verse that says, this is how much money you get to spend. It would be, make our lives way easier, right? But it also would be a lot of fun. It would, it would require zero dependence on the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but it is a, all this stuff is spiritual. All these decisions, they're all driven by our faith and what we feel like God is calling us to do. But there is a practical side, which is, all right, you have this many dollars coming in. 
and you you need this many dollars to live on. And but you also have, hey, you have some college coming up. Should you start planning for college? Let's figure out how much money you should save for college. You know, you do want to still be wise and save some money for retirement one day, because one day you're going to stop working and you're going to still need to eat and put a roof over your head and do all those things. One of the, one of my favorite proverbs is twenty one twenty. And in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but the foolish man devours all that he has. Okay, well, that tells us we should save something. It's, it's wise to do that. And we're not hoarding, but we are being prudent and wise. And really, it, it just comes down to what is, what's going on in your life. Do you have to take care of elderly parents? Are your parents in a position to take care of themselves financially? Oh, they're not. Oh, well, you need to pitch in. Okay, maybe you and your siblings are going to divide the cost. Maybe your siblings aren't in a position to do that. So now we have to factor all those things in. But I think what it does, and it's kind of like you just said, like when you look for opportunities to be generous, it's amazing how the Lord just always shows you. If you are interested in sharing the gospel with people and you pray about that, it is amazing how many people will cross your path that need to hear the gospel. Well, I think the same thing applies here. Lord, show us what we need to spend money on, what's what's necessary but yeah, we also like, hey, we want to take our family somewhere. We want to take, you know, we want to take a, a trip somewhere and build some memories with our family. And I, I think you should do those things and just ask the Lord what's appropriate for you, what, what's good for your family. Uh, and a lot of this depends. Like, hey, is it a driving trip? Is it a flying trip? Flying trips cost more money right off the bat, right? There's plane tickets. And while plane tickets are relatively inexpensive, you know, especially what's going on lately, they still cost money. And so you just, you factor all those things in, but I think what it does is it makes you aware and, and gets you back on track from not maybe being as wasteful and being as frivolous with God's money. And then that, what I found that it does is it, it, it takes away some of the guilt around stuff too. So for example, maybe your thing is like, well, I'll give you a good example. My wife and I decided when the third child was born that we were going to go on a date every single week, every now and then there's a reason you can't, something happens, but but we have been faithfully dating for 16 years, okay? Now, we dated before that as a married couple, but it was, it was just sporadic, you know, like when we thought about it. Now we literally have, and it has been every night of the week. Currently, it's a Sunday night. And we knew early on in the beginning, those dates, the, the babysitter, we would laugh, would cost more than the date. So babysitters in our area at the time were $10 an hour, three hours, $30. Well, we would go and go to Target, because she just for she just needed to make a target run and so we'd hang out in target i've got stories about me wearing khakis and a red shirt because that would made it a little more fun for me i'd tell people the wrong place it was it was a good time and then we would go to this place it was it's a, it's a local place it's called cr chicks it's named after the two owners and it's it's about uh, it's a rotisserie chicken place and the two of us could eat a fantastic meal fully filling it would cost us about $12 and so the date was $42, but it, but we used to joke that, you know, Hey, $42 is cheaper than marriage counseling. You know, now we might go, you know, we don't have babysitting, but when we eat a little nicer place now, like a sit down place where there's service and it's a little quieter. And so it costs more money, but it's well within our, our budget. And it's just kind of part of what we do. And sometimes we'll share that date with other people. Like we might want to go out with another couple and we'll invite them. And that's okay. And that's, we've agreed upon that and it's, and it's fun and we will pay for them, you know, and do, do things like that. But that's an example of how, you know, you could say, is that necessary to go on a date? No. Would, would, would our marriage fail if we didn't go on a date? Probably not. I think we'd figure it out, but I don't know, man, it's working really well. We enjoy the time with each other. 
I think it's done wonders for our relationship. And we joke about it, but now it's becoming a reality. We used to say, hey, we better make sure we like each other because our kids are going to grow up one day. We better, we better get along. Well, I mean, I got two in college and one's a, one has a car. So we're not quite empty nesters, but you know, it, it's just the two of us most of the time. Sometimes it's three of us. You know, and we really like each other too. So that's a good thing. Well, Steve, you've got kids that are around the age that you started your story with, where you started to integrate some of these concepts into how you manage your personal finances and you were tithing and then you eventually bumped up the tithe and set a cap for your lifestyle. And I'm curious to hear with your youngest being 16 and your oldest getting married soon, how do you talk to your kids about money with all of the wisdom and knowledge from so many different sources as a financial advisor, as a pastor, as a Christian, you have lots of perspective. And I'd love to hear how you interact with your kids about money. Yeah, so it started very early at five years old. We, so we're allowance givers. And then there's two schools, right? Allowance and then pay them for chores. And both are right. There's not a wrong answer on that one. I don't think. We chose allowance. And the reason I chose allowance was specifically so I could teach them about money. So at, at five years old, they get a dollar a week. Sounds kind of funny, but I get a dollar and a dollar was easy. It's easy to divide up and give, I, I give them, I give them five dimes and two quarters. And so we had this little Larry Burkett bank and it was a little house and it had slots and one was, one went to church. So they had to get, and I told them they can, they have to give at least 10%. They can always give more, but never less. And they have to save at least 10%. They can save more, but never less. And then they can live on the rest. And so we taught them from a very early age, give, save, live. Very basic concept. And then, and then when they turn six, they get $2 and it goes to four and it goes to eight. And then I started going, man, I'm doubling this every year. This is going to get expensive. So I go to 10 and then it's 12 and so on and so forth. And what we did is we did that with the, with the intent. And by the way, the chores are just part of living in our house. So we all have responsibilities. And so that was just the way we looked at it. Again, I meet people and they say, I pay for chores. Great. Great way to do it too. It's, it's all preference. It's, it's but just, I did like the idea of giving them some money because I mainly did it. I really did it so I could teach them money principles that my wife and I could teach them at a very young age. And so it's really funny to watch. And as they get a little older and they start getting $10, well, now it's a dollar. Well, only one of them had a hard time with it. The others were like, that's just what you do. You give a dollar. And then we do things throughout the year where I would tell the kids towards the end of the year, especially we would say, Hey, I'm going to give you $1,000 and I want you to go and tell me who you want to give it to and why. And then they would do that. And it was great. So I taught them how to give larger amounts of money because they're used to giving a dollar. They're used to giving $2. They put it in the church offering plate. We would do things like compassion kids. And the way we worked that is we would, we would share the responsibility. And one of the things we would do is we would say, all right, each of you donates 5% and, and that's 15 and mom and dad do 85%, that kind of thing. And then I would also do this thing at the end of the year because I knew they had accumulated money through. Uh, we, also, we also paid for grades. So uh, I have this whole formula. It's a spreadsheet and it's just I won't bore you with it. But, but if you make straight A's in our house when you're in high school, you could make it was uh, there was a there was a bonus. Oh, there's a whole formula. Anyways, you can get over $200 for, for a straight A report card. There's a straight A bonus involved. And, and then there's, there's extra money for AP classes. 
And I mean, it's, it's like $250. I mean, it's, it's pretty, pretty significant. So they would, they would get that and they would have to give, give 25, let's say you made 250 and you gave 25 and saved 25. Well, you had $200 now in your bank account. And so they would accumulate money during the year. And then I would come to them at the end of the year, in addition to the thousand. And I would say, Hey, listen, I want you to, you don't have to do it, but if you do it, your mom and I will match you on whatever you give tenfold. So if they gave $50 to something of their own money, we would give $500. So we just kind of gave them, it's like a 401k match, just a very, a very handsome 401k match. And, and then they had to tell us why they wanted to give to that ministry or that charity. And I wasn't going to ever decline. I mean, unless it was like the church of Satan, which I wasn't really worried about. But as long as they wanted to give to something noble, I wanted them to think through why they did that. And it's been really neat to see because now to this day, this is just what they do. They, they just give. They just know automatically they give and they save and they've learned to live on the rest. And it's really neat to see them give more than the tithe. But because there's not an actual, it's not a formula, right? It's, it's, it's not a prescription. It's a description. I, I've never given them, a, this is how much you have to give guys. But I, except I do think they should at a minimum give a tithe. I do. And I know there's people that will teach you don't have to give a tithe and you can make that argument. Jesus abolished that. Great. Okay. But why wouldn't you want to? I tend to find that people that tell me that are just not generous people and they're just trying to hoard it for themselves. Yeah, I have four kids myself and our oldest just turned five. So I'm doing in my head what 10 years of inflation is on a dollar <laughs> where I need to get her started. <laughs> but that's a lot of the same kind of stuff I've been thinking through for how do we get our girls to be practicing a lot of these concepts over the course of their lives at an age appropriate level along the way. And I think that, you know, that's some of the best advice I've heard so far. So that gives me certainly a lot to think about. So I'm interested in uh, getting into a couple more details on your finish line process and, and how you guys have made some of the decisions along the way. One area that I'm interested in is uh, retirement. So obviously, as a financial advisor, you, I'm sure, have a lot of ideas about retirement and, and what that should look like. And I'm curious, as you have implemented this finish line in your life, how that has affected or hasn't affected how you look towards saving for retirement and kind of what that process looks like. Sure. So I was working for this investment firm when I was a senior in high school. And so I was 17 years old. And then when I turned 18, I was eligible for the retirement plan. And I just, one of my bosses sat me down one day and said, Hey, if you save this much money, by the time you're 40, you'll have this much 50s. And I was like, well, that just seems logical. So I just, I just did. I just blindly did it. And the company gave me some money too. And I put my own money in. And, and so I started at a very young age setting money aside. And you know, the power of compounding over time is very powerful. I will tell you that to this day, I save the maximum into my 401k. And then we save another $25,000 a year. And I'll probably stop that soon. Like I'll just, I've done the math. It's just the numbers are good. You know, there's a point where you say, okay, how much do I really need? Even in retirement, we've capped a lifestyle while we're working, frankly, kind of easy to do because there's always income coming in. What do you do when you don't have a guaranteed income coming in and you're only relying on social security, which may or may not be there. I don't believe I'll ever have a job that has a pension. I've never had one yet. So there won't be a pension. And all I'm going to have is what we've saved. But there's this point where you just say, look, I mean, we've done the math. 
I, I run my numbers pretty conservatively. I don't run them at 12%. I run my numbers at 8%. Hey, this is what I think we'll earn over the next you know, 20 years or so. I'm 47 now. And the truth is the jobs that I'm involved in now, and I'm open to whatever the Lord has me do, but I can do these jobs forever. I mean, as long as my mind works. So I'm not, I'm not swinging a hammer. I'm not, I'm not having to do physical things. So I can sit down and do this job for a long time. And I've seen enough people in, in, in our industry to know, like most of them really don't retire. And it's not because they can't, it's just, it's just fun. They enjoy it. And so I don't know. I'm, I'm open to whatever the Lord tells me, but I started saving early and I don't really save like ridiculous amounts of money because I wanted to be careful of not being a Luke 12, bigger Barnes guy. And we really just started saving the, the extra money towards that in the last probably five or six years. And before that, I really was just a max 401k guy. And I've done the math. If you save the max in your 401k, since you're 18 years old, you'll have way more than you need. And frankly, I felt led to save a little more money recently, not out of fear. I think the Lord may be calling us to maybe, don't quote me on this, don't tell my clients this, but he may be calling me to retire sooner than I think and and maybe go into full-time ministry. I'm, I'm open to whatever. And if he doesn't, we'll just give it away. You know what I mean? Like if we end up not, we'll just give it away. So I kind of, I just, I'm very pragmatic about this stuff. I'm pretty just, I don't worry about it. I'm not flipping about it. I've done the math. That's why I don't worry. I'm a data guy. I'm a stats guy. I've done the stats on it. I've done the data. I've done the spreadsheet. Man, I just always hear Alcorn. I've heard him speak, so I can't hear his voice. Hey, the only antidote to materialism is generosity. So I'm like, well, I got to be careful. I don't want to be materialistic. So, Well, Keelan and I have come across some really cool stories in the last few years talking to people about you know what, what has eventually become the finish line pledge. And we've realized that this is a movement. It's really the only word that I can use to accurately describe it. There's a lot of people with some level of interest, a lot of people reading scripture and coming up with some of these concepts independently and then learning from other people. There's books about these specific topics. There's lots of people doing this that aren't talking about it. And so we by no means came up with this. We just are really excited to be part of this community. But I wanted to ask you, since you do have a longer time frame that you've been living with a finish line, what would you say to someone who's interested in these concepts and is not quite sure how to take those next steps toward living this kind of a life? Sure. Again, I think it kind of comes back to, hey, how much figuring out how much you can live on asking the Lord to reveal that to you, asking the Lord to give you favor with your finances. Again, just not, not so you can laugh. What we're all trying to do is not lavish it on ourselves. We're trying to lavish it towards the Lord and towards kingdom purposes. And I would tell people to be flexible on it. You know, when we started this, I didn't really think, I mean, I thought about it, but I didn't think 15 years ahead, right? I didn't think like, oh, this is what it's going to look like. I just figured, well, we'll do this. And I think this is what we're going to do the rest of our lives but also be flexible on it. So your needs change over time. And so I don't mind telling you. So, and I, and I think this may be helpful too, because as people are like, man, how much do I, do I need to live on? Well, I do think it matters where you live. I live in a pretty expensive place in South Florida, definitely more than like living in you know the middle of the United States where you can buy a big old house with five acres for $250,000. But we made a decision back, back then, we looked at it and we said, hey, let's live. We're going to live on $8,000 a month. So $96,000 a year. And that was the three kids and, you know, allowed us to live. We lived in a home and, you know, we had two vehicles and 
Now, they weren't necessarily, they weren't late model. They weren't the best vehicles, but they were plenty of vehicles for us, but they weren't the worst vehicles either. And then we didn't really know. We always thought we'd be public school parents. Um, we both grew up in public school. And then as our kids got older, we did public school for most of the time until my oldest was in ninth grade. So when they were in ninth and fifth and seventh, we, we, or actually it was 10th, seventh and fifth, we moved them into private school. And part of it was uh, my middle daughter was really in the musical theater. There was this Christian school, which our, my, my youngest child still goes to, which has a world-class musical theater program. Plus, we just saw some things in the schools and started thinking like, we always felt like, hey, we're going to influence them. But, you know, you start realizing that, and all that sounds good when your kids are little. And, but when they start having friends over and, and you just, you know, they get, start getting influenced by different things, you start kind of going, yeah, I'd like some backup here. And so we just made a decision that we were going to, you know, do the private school thing. So that ratched that, that almost doubled our budget. You know, that was, you know, down here, $60,000 a year. We just had to make a decision and we prayed about it. Like, Lord, we, you know, so we kept our basic living the same. I mean, it had ratcheted up a little bit because, you know, the homeowner's insurance went up and, you know, in those, in those years and, you know, property taxes cost a little more and, you know, gas costs a little more, you know, your electric bills a little more, all that stuff. But but we really maintain a basic same lifestyle. But then we started having these education things and we said, well, we just felt like that was a good investment for us to make in our children. And we have not regretted that at all. Well, fast forward. Now I have one in college or two in college. One's graduating. She gets married four weeks after that. So that's costing a little bit of money. Now I could have said, guys, it's just not, it's just not in our budget. You know, and I could have said that, but she's my little girl. I want her to have a nice wedding. Now, is she having the nicest wedding? No, she's having a reasonable wedding, but it'll be very nice, but it costs money. And so, you know, our budget is more this year than it has been. And then, you know, her college tuition costs, you know, X number of dollars and books and fees and all that stuff. And then my middle daughter is in college and hers is a little more expensive than that. And then my wife did get a part-time job at the school because nobody's really home needing her anymore on a day-to-day basis. So we actually get a free kid for uh, the private school. We get one free kid working part-time. So we're like, hey, that worked out pretty well. But trust me, those college bills are, are more than the three private school tuitions. So we just made decisions, and we know that as soon as those, they're done, we'll go back, and our budget will come back into a reasonable uh, level. But for this season, we just felt like, hey, this is what the Lord has called us to do. And it's just kind of worked out. But I will tell you this. And again, man, I think this is the third time I'm saying this. I'm not a prosperity theologian, <laughs> but let's just say our giving has not decreased. But again, I, we're not lavishing it on ourselves. So I'm not telling you like, hey, the Lord's, the Lord's going to give you tenfold so you can buy mink coats and five mansions and all this kind of stuff. You know, I think he's, the Lord wants us to keep giving. He keeps providing. And I think he wants us to keep giving. So he provides. Well, you're exactly right about that. And I think that as we kind of step into the story of what God is doing through our finances and in our giving, and we really experience that and taste some of that, then there's almost like a self-correcting pull on our lives from that point forward where we want to orchestrate our finances in our lives to be able to continue to give generously and to be a part of what God's doing and, and to be a part of other people's lives through that. You know, so I, I love how you talk about going through different seasons of life and just needing to be flexible and listening to the spirit through that. And that's why I like that there's this kind of self-correcting process that always keeps us on track of just wanting to be a part of what God's doing. 
But, you know, as you're sharing, I'm curious now, especially with how long that you've been going through this process, how has God been able to use you and your family? And and how has he pulled you into his story and guided you on how to manage that excess above that cap, above that finish line? Yeah. Jesus tells us it's more blessed to give than to receive. And anybody who gives will can attest to that. But we've really just seen it time and time and time and time and time and time and time again. And if in case you didn't get it time and time and time and time again, I mean, just, and so I can pinpoint some specific examples, which to the listeners may not have as much impact because they don't know the people involved and stuff. But I'll tell you what it's done to it is it frees you up to not worry about money. Money is such a big worry for so many of us, right? I see it with my clients. I saw it with myself. And so that's just another thing you take off your plate. And so I, I just really think, you know, Jesus tells us at the end of Matthew chapter six, not to worry about tomorrow for today has enough worries for itself. And so that's, that's such a great reminder, but, and I don't want to, again, I want to come off flippant. Like I don't, I, I pay attention to the dollars and I, I am aware, but it's just not a big concern and a big worry. And I think it's, I think it's frankly, it's made me a better financial planner because I tell people I have a bad business model because in our, in our business, we are paid on the assets that we manage. I am consistently encouraging people to pay off their debt, which is, you know, sometimes they take chunks of money out of their accounts with us to pay off their debt. Great. And then I tell them to be as generous as humanly possible and then be more generous than that. Like just as generous as you think you could be and stretch it. Well, a lot of times they take money out of their accounts with us. Great. Super. I don't have the worry. I don't have the concern. And, and I don't worry about then where's the next sale going to come from. What's fascinating to me is I'm probably a better planner and I'm probably a better salesperson because I don't worry about the sale. There's no pressure. He has already provided far more than we need to live. And everything else is his. So I, again, jokingly say, well, Lord, I guess you just didn't want me. You know, I, didn't get, I didn't win that account. I guess you didn't want me to give that money away. And that's okay. Like it's, it's totally fine. And I just trust that he, I have who I'm supposed to have. And there's, I mean, I can tell you like, this isn't just rhetoric. This is, I don't care if I close an account or not. And there's just so much peace in that. Now I still close accounts and it's good. I mean, it's fine. It keeps growing the business, but like Sometimes you don't. And I can remember early on being devastated when I didn't get it, when I didn't win the account. Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I failed. And now I'm just like, okay, Lord's will. And there's just a peace that comes with that. I don't, I don't know if it's the peace that surpasses all understanding that Paul talks about. It's probably not. I think that's a much deeper peace. This is a more physical, this is more like just material peace, I think. But it's a peace and I don't, I don't sweat it. And, but, but, and it's fun when you have, when you have your basics locked down, basic living locked down to know like, Hey, now we're just looking for fun stuff. Like what can we give to? So we have our set things we give to, but we also have, we'll call, you know, people have a slush fund Well, we have a slush giving fund and it's just there. And it's for things that do not show up on a tax return. So you hear about somebody who needs rent. You hear about somebody who needs groceries. You hear about somebody who needs they need the application fee to get into a college, what, what, uh, whatever the things are. And so you're able to help in those ways. And if you pray about those things and those are on your heart, 
those I, those opportunities pop up all the time. And it's just so much fun to know that you get to be part of it. I will tell you, I have had to be careful. And this is, this is something I've learned that I don't always have to be the person. So for example, I do hear about some benevolence needs in our church. They have never been so significant that my wife and I could not help. But I also have people in my church who like to help. And so even though I could just take care of it anonymously and no one would ever know, I also realize I have the potential to rob the joy that other people would get from being part of that. And so that's something. So I almost act as a backstop in a lot of cases. And so I have, there's a decent number of people in our church that I can go to and ask on behalf of someone and they'll generally take care of it. Sometimes the need is pretty significant. Maybe they can't, you know, maybe they can't quite do it. And so I just say, well, anything you could do, I mean, whatever you feel the Lord leads you, that's great. I said, I'm going to trust that he'll find the money elsewhere. And I'll ask some other folks. And sometimes it's through multiple people. Sometimes we still plug in those, some of those gaps, but that's been, that's been pretty neat. You know, to see, like, that's a good reminder. Like, Hey, I don't always have to be the person. My wife doesn't always have to be the person. Don't rob the joy that other people get the, the same joy you get. Don't forget other people are getting that too. Like don't rob it all. And so it's a good, it's a good reminder. That's been a great lesson in all of this. I love that you talk about the giving opportunities as the fun stuff. And I think that is a perspective shift like a mental shift where you go from, hey, I've got some extra money. I can finally buy myself some more toys, a new TV, like all these things that you just kind of want. And when you channel that same feeling toward, I can't wait to give to this cause. I can't wait to support this person. I can't wait to help someone out. That is such an exciting moment in time. And my wife and I are starting to experience that more and more where, We've got a little extra lying around and we say, how can we use this to help somebody else? It's, it's a really cool thing to experience, but you have to start doing it. As we're kind of wrapping up our time, Steve, I did have one more question for you since you have kind of a unique perspective as a pastor who is also very in tune with your own finances and uh, you have this calling to generosity. I'm curious for maybe other pastors or church leaders that might be listening right now, how can they be encouraging generosity in their congregations or the people that they work with? And what have you found effective or kind of what you've learned along the way in your role as a pastor? Yeah. So one of the things we do every year is we actually talk about money from the pulpit for three weeks in a variety of topics of money, what usually culminates in generosity, right? So yes, it's good to save. It's good to spend wisely. That's a big part of it. We teach that basic principle. We actually teach give, save, live on the rest. We, and we keep, we beat that drum. Uh, we'll mention it a few times during the year. We're always trying to strike that balance between talking about money too much and never talking about it, right? There is this, it is in the Bible, according to Burkett and Howard Dayton, all those really smart, strong, solid Christian guys, they did all the work. 2,350 verses in the Bible talk about money. That's one in every uh, roughly 13 and a half verses. So it's a big topic. And so we, well, we just make sure that we don't shy away from it. We don't apologize for talking about it. We try to do it, we think, in a winsome way that we're not, and we're not, we're not browbeating people. We are trying to be as encouraging as we can in our messaging. But we do also tackle the spending and the saving side as well. 
and by having some finance classes, because again, it's great. You should be generous. Okay, thanks. But man, I'm trying to figure out how to make my budget work. So there is a practical side to this where, where we are trying to teach people good principles, but we really beat this drum of give, save, live. And we teach grace in that. And part of our teaching is we do teach that those who have more, uh, so to whom much is given, much is required. And so we teach that and we don't apologize. I mean, we're not, I don't think, I, I, I hope, I think we're winsome about it. I think we're kind about it, but we also don't apologize for it. And I think that's a big piece of it. And the other thing too, you want to make sure as, as a pastor, I see this mistake as a, as a guy who was always asked before, don't let the only time you ever talk to your person is when you need something from them. Like just go and have breakfast with them. One of the things we do at a church, we don't know. Our finance department knows how much people give. I don't know how much people give. I can only surmise what I think somebody might give, but I really don't know. And I've learned people you think aren't giving much are like super generous. And then people you think, oh my gosh, they have so much money. They live in this massive house. They must give so much to our church. And, you know, and I don't know the specific amounts, but you kind of know, like, you know, they're not, they're not as generous as you might think. But don't make it the only time you reach out to them is when you need something. Make sure you're developing relationships with people and truly trying to love their souls. I think people who, who are feel loved, remember, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I actually think sometimes your heart goes somewhere and then your treasure follows. I know it's not, that's, not what the, that's not what Jesus says. I don't, don't want to. But I just practically speaking, I've seen, I, I think about things we give to. Like we started out giving we didn't have a lot. We gave a little, we, but it, was, it wasn't, it didn't change the ministry at all. But our heart went there. Our heart was there. So we started giving to it. And then our heart really got involved because our, it was this nice, it was a, it wasn't a vicious cycle. It was a nice cycle. Like the money chased the heart, the heart chased the money, the money chased, and it just kept going in this nice circle to now where they, they you know, now we give to them pretty significantly. And our heart is really there. And we're so interested in what they're doing. And we love what they're doing. And so it's this, I think the same thing happens at our church, right? That, but, but if they feel like the only time we call them is when we need something, I, people know, especially, especially generous people in your church, they know, they know the game. <laughs> they know the ministries only reach out to them at the end of the year and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so I would, I would just make sure I'm, I'm loving my people all throughout the year and, and not, and not looking at them as a, as a, as a bank account as a potential donor, but really as a, as someone who Jesus loves and they just happen to have a little bit of money. Well, thanks again, Steve. That's just about all the time we have for today. But before we wrap things up, I just wanted to get to our manager minute for the day. Every episode, we try to share one quick idea for something you can give to right now with any money you've set aside to give away. But when we have guests on the show, we like to hear one of their recommendations. So Steve, do you have any good suggestions on how we, our listeners, can be thinking about that excess that God gives us to manage? Yes. You, and you, I, I have one in mind and then you just made me think of something. So one of the things we did very early with the kids is we would pick somebody in the restaurant and anonymously buy their dinner. That, that, I love that. I just, uh, and that was something you get your kids involved in. It was a lot of fun. Um, but one of the things, so my business partner and I, he's a very generous guy too. One of the things we've started doing is to leverage our giving is we started hosting, we, we, for lack of a better term, we, don't, we call them, I'm not a great marketer, but I, I, we just call them generosity dinners. And if you're familiar with generous giving, which has been a great influence on, on myself, they have this whole idea where they share stories. So we just took that same concept and we just do a dinner locally. 
Now we happen to do it at a very nice place. We invite very wealthy Christians and we have somebody share their story in a non bragging way. Just, just kind of just tell us kind of what you guys are trying to do this whole idea. That's why I mean, this is why we have kindred spirits, but we'll have somebody just share. And, and the idea is for them to get to meet other people, other people who think like them, other believers who have means. Cause one of the things I've heard from people with means is they find it hard sometimes to connect with a lot of people because they'll feel embarrassed to maybe invite them over to their home because they live in this very nice home and they don't want people to think that they're like showing off or anything. They just, they just live in a nice home. But, and so, so this has been a way for us to connect other wealthy Christians together. And what's been neat is they're becoming friends. They're digging wells in, in India together. And, and like, when I say wells, I'm not like, you know, like one well, they're digging like a hundred wells. They'll get together and they have this passion. Somebody else has this passion for a hospital in Africa. And so there's these three couples that have gotten together and they are funding this thing and, and sending supplies and showing up on trips and bringing people. And, and so it's just been really cool. And this is, and again, I'd love to tell you that five or six years ago, when we started doing this, we had it all mapped out. We said, this is exactly what's going to happen. We didn't know. We just thought it's a good idea. We've got, we stole the idea from generous giving and it, it costs us a little bit of money. We do it at a really nice restaurant down here. It's Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. They handle everything. They, they have a sound system and all this. They give us a big room. And, but we look at that and say, gosh, we could have given away a few thousand dollars each and blessed a ministry. And we'll still do that. But the, the money we just spent on this just probably blossomed into hundreds of thousands of dollars of additional giving. So we joke, we're like, can we just do this every week? We probably could. We, I don't know if we can get that many people to come. Pre-COVID, we would do about three or four a year. And we haven't done one since COVID. We're getting ready to do them again. People are feeling more comfortable. The vaccines are out and stuff. But, but anyways, that, that's just something that we've done. We found that to be very, very fruitful. We've done about, I think we've done 15 or 16 of those now. And that's been incredibly beneficial. Yeah, I love that idea. Uh, and I, I think, you know, that's something that really anybody could do, gather people together like that and uh, just start conversations about generosity. You're right. That's exactly Generous Giving's motto is, you know, starting conversations around generosity and, and sharing stories. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Steve. This has been extremely encouraging, I know, for me and I'm sure for Cody, too. And we're really blessed to have you here sharing your story with us. It was my pleasure, guys. Thanks for what you're doing. It's a really big deal, man. I, I, when, when Cody reached out, I was like, all right, these are my people. These are my people. And I love this and keep doing this. It's going to catch fire and it's going to spread. And I, I know for our friends in California, that's probably not a good analogy to use, but I hope that's what happens here. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show today, guys. If you have questions about setting a financial finish line or anything else you heard on the show today, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on Instagram at finishlinepledge, through a website at finishlinepledge.com, or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. Send us any questions you have, and we'll answer them on one of our future episodes. Even better, join the conversation on the Finish Line forums. There you can discuss your thoughts about recent episodes and ask questions about the Finish Line process. We also post our upcoming episode topics in the group so we can hear your thoughts about each topic and hear specifically what you want us to discuss on the show. Check it out at finishlinepledge.com slash forum. As always, if you want to find any of our references or links from today's show, you can find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 17. That's all we have for today. We'll see you next time. <laughs>